A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 2, Episode 2, and I'm Priya. And I'm John. So today, our central question that we're going to be spending a bit of time on is, what makes it so hard to talk about our differences? And the way we thought we would talk about this is through the lens, or I would even say the entire field of diversity and inclusion, also called diversity, equity, and inclusion. So for me, the best sort of metaphor or description I've heard that's nice and succinct for diversity and inclusion is uh, to the credit of Verna Myers, who said, diversity is like being invited to the party. Inclusion is like being asked to dance. And for me, that makes it nice and clean and simple and right to the point. All I might add to that is diversity includes race and gender and color and all these differences that we all have. And inclusion includes the the feeling or the side, the angle, the perspective of do I feel included? Are we including each other? Is there inclusion happening uh, in relationship to the diversity that we all bring? Nice. I really like that description, you know, or be invited to the party and then being invited to dance. It it's really st- sticks in my head. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. And I guess the other frame that we thought would be useful um, to think about this is polarities. Now, I could do a whole 20 minute explanation on polarities, which would be lovely, but actually we're just going to give you the shortened version. So if you haven't heard of polarity management, but you're interested, please Google it. There's lots and lots of um, articles, information, tools, maps uh, online. But for the purposes of today, at its most basic, a polarity is defined as interdependent opposites that need each other. I'll just say that again, interdependent opposites that need each other. And a great example that we often use is rest and exercise. So rest is the opposite of exercise but they both need each other. A healthy human being cannot rest all the time and cannot exercise all the time. They but they need to do both. And that is what we talk about. When we talk about managing polarities, what we're talking about is managing both ends of the scale to help you have balance. So it's an ongoing tension that you have to manage, not a problem to solve. So to be healthy, you need to find what that balance point is for you. And these show up in businesses all the time. You know, a classic one for me in business is um, we want to be a global brand, but we also want to be locally relevant. You need both. But often what happens when you are not managing a polarity well is you end up swinging. So, you know, you centralize everything, you become this big global brand, then that doesn't work. You do a restructure to become local, you decentralize. So if you're not managing a polarity well, you often find businesses or people swing between two extremes because they haven't worked out what balance looks like in the middle. So using that sound this, okay. it sounds perfect. And using that uh, polarity mapping, polarity thinking kind of perspective, as well as the diversity and inclusion perspective, as we like to do, you and I have a few initial thoughts we've pulled together mm. to then have a conversation and see where this goes. And I know we came up with what five different polarities to talk yeah, about. I think so, yeah. The the two that I that came to mind first for me were growth and fixed and uh, perfect and iteration. So if I try to to put those out there quickly and see where this leads us, on the, the growth and fixed polarity, 
The thinking is uh, really straight out of Dr. Carol Dweck's book called Growth Mindset. There's a growth mindset and there's a fixed mindset that she talks about in the book. And if I bring that to the diversity and inclusion perspective, I'm thinking you can be in part of any conversation. And if you're coming in with this, uh, for example, fixed mindset of here's the experience I'm having in the world and someone else is sharing their experience, but you're not in a growth curious learning mindset, you're in a fixed mindset. My understanding is that you're more likely to, to, to feel hate or anger or the other person's perspective could be even as far as evil because they're wrong and you're right. And there's a fixed right, wrong, correct, incorrect view of the other person or view of the world, as opposed to a growth mindset of there could be multiple realities. There could be the, the experience I had and the experience the other person had, and both can be true at the same time. And coming from that perspective, conversations can be, can be quite different. How do you see these, when you're having conversations about differences, how do you see those polarities play up? What would so you see? For- Sure, sure. So it gets a bit sensitive for me. I know one of the popular phrases and and areas we talk about in diversity and inclusion is white privilege. Mm. So myself being American, white, male, heterosexual, uh, I have that life experience or that, that lived experience, as we talk about, of, of white privilege. And having had been fortunate to have many conversations about it and challenged by it and thinking it through to make sure I'm presenting my my best self, my most true self, my authentic self, the, if I try to oversimplify it, just like Verna's quote about being invited to the party and being invited to dance as part of diversity and inclusion and, and different levels, for me, the the simple metaphor is... I, what I've been told and and really resonated for me, and maybe you've heard this one before too, I can have my experience of walking down a main street or a high street, and whatever happens to me as walking down that street, the the eye contact I make, the conversations I have, the the, the lived experience walking down that street is, is my truth, that's my reality. Someone of a different race, a different religion, a different age, a different color, some diversity to to my experience of the world could walk down that exact same street just moments or minutes later and fundamentally have a different experience on that exact same street, even in the, the current day and time that we live in. That to me is one simple example of the, the white privilege that I probably just experienced and may or may not have even realized as I walked down. And so making that tie to growth and fixed mindset of if I were then at the end of the street to sit and talk to that person and say, what was the experience you just had of walking down that same street I just walked in a fixed mindset? Again, I'd, I'd likely feel anger or heat or evil in that other person to say, that's not true. That's not what just happened as I walked down the street. And yet, if I come with a growth mindset, I could I could be learning. I could be curious. I could I could turn judgment into curiosity, as Dr. Mayan Chen Judge has offered for us to do. John, one of the things I'm really curious about because white privilege is something that you know it's a it's a term that's banded around a lot, and you have some people that vehemently desire, de- deny its very existence, and other people like you're saying with this growth mindset that are more open to it or see it, and there seems to be a real spectrum. What is it or what was it for you that woke you up to it? Was there a moment or was it something you've always been aware of? 
definitely not always been aware of and thanks for asking because it is a it's a tough question i i'm not sure i can recall a moment having having woken up to it if that's the right phrase mm-hmm. i think it's it's this other uh polarity that we we briefly chatted about before which is perfection and iteration it's almost short term and long term is how i i look at that and for me it's been an iteration of understanding white privilege it's it's these little moments of oh i was able to get a sale price at this store if i continue this example of walking down a shopping street um, whereas another person may not for whatever reason get a sale price uh, part of me would have said, again, if I, if I look inside, part of me would have said, oh, well, I've studied influence and I've studied negotiation. And so I'm just lucky and blessed to have, have those skills to earn a sale price. Whereas I think that may be a piece of the puzzle. There is probably also a, a privilege piece to the puzzle that is harder for me to admit, harder for me to be aware of, much more sensitive to even talk about. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I think thank you for sharing that. Um, it really it brings to it br- definitely brings to life that polarity. Um, if I move on to some of the other ones that we came up with, so the two for me were assimilation and integration is the first one, and the second one is my pain and your pain. So I'll I'll dig into assimilation and integration first. So just to give you a little bit of background, I um, my heritage is Indian, um, but born in the UK. And like many child of immigrants, when you're a teenager, all you want to do desperately um, is fit in, as all teenagers want to do. And when you have something that's different about you, which in my case was the colour of my skin, you do not want to be turning up at school, being asked about arranged marriages, smelling of curry, or being in any way different. And so, you know, I was quite embarrassed about being Indian. And I think that that's a very universal experience. Of, or As I've started to talk about it, that's what I've learned. And it made me a bit ashamed. And what I did looking back, um, which really makes sense to me as an adult, is I assimilated. I didn't integrate. I cut off the bit of myself that was Indian and I lost any sort of connection with that. And I didn't really reclaim that until my 30s. So for a good 20, 25 years of my life, I was very disconnected about what it meant to be an Indian woman of colour. And I I didn't integrate, I assimilated. And I think that's a very common feature when people talking about difference. In my case, I'm talking about the colour of my skin and my heritage. But, it, you know, I've, I've spoken to friends and it, it showed up for them in terms of their sexuality. You know, you deny an aspect of yourself and that shows up in your desire to be accepted. You you kind of pay a price. And I think that really shows up for, for me in conversations about difference. Where are people talking about assimilation and where are people really, truly playing with integration and what that actually means which is which is where I think inclusion is trying to really guide the conversation how do you really include multiple perspectives how do you really hold space for multiple people whatever it is that they're bringing I appreciated how you asked me about uh, was there a moment that I realized white privilege and even in the response I just gave I'm not Mm. sure you know I I wish I could think it through even more and probably have a quite different answer and yet I'd be interested when you talk about assimilation and integrating similar question to you was there a moment or a series of moments or that you 
realized your own integration and assimilation challenge? Or since we're talking about questions worth asking, was there a question along the way that popped up for you that made things look different? Yeah, so um, this is quite embarrassing to say. So I I did a um, course with Jess and Razia at the Equality Academy. So if anyone's interested, look up the Equality Academy. I did a little course with them around diversity and inclusion. Now, I had prior to that been running diversity and inclusion strategies and agendas for businesses. And I kind of went on just to try and learn what else was going on in the DNI space. So I went on with a very cognitive mindset. And as pe- and I was as I was there with a group of about eight other women and everyone was talking about diversity and inclusion, what really came up for me was this sense of, gosh, I've I've never really included myself when I've thought about diversity and inclusion. I've never really thought that it referred to me. In fact, about seven years ago, I remember a friend of mine at work saying to me, which she intended as a compliment, and at the time I received it as a compliment, she said, oh, I don't really see you um, as the colour of your skin. I just see you as Priya. I, I don't see you as a brown person. And in my desire to assimilate, I had read that as a compliment. And it wasn't until I went on this programme and I really understood my own diversity story that I thought, oh, actually, there's something missing for me. There's something I need to reclaim. And for me, it was my Indian heritage. And the question to your particular point was, what did I, in service of fitting in, what did I give up? So in service of trying to fit in, what was it that I gave up? I've talked to quite a few people about that question and it's it's led to some really interesting questions. So this thing around this polarity between assimilating and integrating, I think is one that is definitely worth exploring for yourself before you, um, you know, explore it in a group. And it leads very nicely onto the next one, which is my pain and your pain. This feels a little bit controversial to say, and I've said it a few times in groups and it feels a little bit controversial when I say it but it feels also very true and my pain and your pain is basically about when you're having a conversation about difference one of the things I think happen is you end up in this pecking order of pain conversation where someone's talking about race and that's uh, really important to them and someone's talking about sexuality and that's very important to them and then somebody is trying to bring ableism into the conversation or you know gender fluidity into the conversation but there becomes a pecking order and people stop listening to one another because what they're very focused on is their own pain. And I I, I think when, it, when conversations are heading in that way, I think it makes it so hard to talk about difference because everybody is there wanting to have their pain witnessed and their ability to look out and see other people's is really limited. And so, you know, it's not that I think that, you know, if you suffer from racism or you've been attacked for your sexuality, those things are all wrong, but they're all equally wrong. And I think that's really important. You know, I, I have as much love as I have for the person who wants to have the right to love who they love as I do to the person that's experienced racism you know it's all the same we think it's different and I'm I'm not sure it is um so that my pain and your pain seems to be sometimes where the conversation can go can go a bit wrong and this comparison aspect of that Mm. is so huge at what point do I compare my pain to your pain and the story that comes up for me that's also a bit sensitive and not even quite sure I want to record it, and yet uh, 
uh, it comes from an intent to help. Uh, in my own family experiences, especially when it's a smaller, more immediate group of family, it, it will be an all-white person group and an all-white person conversation. And it's family and it's comfortable and we love each other and we have you know, years and decades or however old each person is, uh, the experience of, of being with this family. So quite a trusted, safe environment. And yet in that environment, in that setting, every once in a while, there is some comment that I'm uncomfortable with and it feels uh, racist to me, or it feels a uh, fixed mindset to me, to use that earlier language. And when you're talking about my pain and your pain, I feel the heat raise in my body. And the, the thought that often comes up is, oh no, is this my opportunity? Am I supposed to speak up now? Is this, mm. does it start? You talked about global and lo global brand and local relevance. Well, here's family example of global, what's going on in the world and local with my family. When do you speak up and when do you not? And what often will go through my head is also this pecking order of my pain and your pain to say, it sure seems to me I'm going to inflict a lot more pain by saying that comment is inappropriate. Here's how it affects me or here's how it might affect others. And that it diminishes to the level of, well, it's not worth it compared to other larger bits of pain. So yes, this, this pecking order of pain for me is, um, is something, it's, it's impactful. Thank you for sharing that. It's always difficult when you talk about your family as well. I can I can hear it in your voice, and I I, I know it's coming up for me as well. I, I think the first thing, and uh, we joke sometimes that I'm the rational and you're the more feeling person, but I'm gonna I'm gonna come here with some feeling. I genuinely, you know, as a brown face, do a lot of conversations in this area having a brown face, which I think makes a difference. I think you've got to come at it with a bit of love. If you're going to create this curious container for people to kind of explore what they think and, you know, how they feel about stuff safely, I think there's something about rather than saying you shouldn't say that or that's not right, how do we hold some curiosity? You know, me and Sot talked about that to us about that in season one. And a great example of that for me was about um, a couple of years ago, I did some work for a mental health charity and when I walked in the door, I was only in the room for about three or four minutes. And one of the service users, as they were called back then, came over, introduced himself to me. And the first thing he said was, I don't like brown people. And he didn't use that polite term of brown people. He used the word that rhymes with tacky, which I won't say because I don't want us to get banned off Spotify or iTunes. But, you know, and I, I, I really struggle with that. And I was very ill-equipped at the time to deal with that conversation. So I just avoided it um, because, as you say, when's the right time to step in? And, and you know, embarrassed to say, but my first response was to avoid it because for anybody that's ever been on the receiving end of any sort of discrimination, you know, you will know that the first thing that you experience is shame and you just feel embarrassed. And I was incredibly embarrassed. And so I shied away. And he kept coming to talk to me. And eventually what happened was we got to the bottom of what it was that he was so, you know, I don't like brown people for. And, you know, for me, it, it, it was the fear of being diminished. It was the fear of being less than. It was the fear of getting less because I had something that he wanted. And we've had, you know, many conversations about it. And if anybody is interested, Rene Edo Lodge's book, um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, is great. Um, she has a chapter called Fear of a Black Planet. 
and in there she talks about this you know this fear of being taken over this fear of being overwhelmed and I think that if you can see some of this prejudices or isms or whatever you want to call it as fear or you can see the fear sometimes behind it not always but you know if you can if you can approach it thinking that there's some fear behind it I think you just come at it from a place of love and that love and curiosity can become a container for people to come out and talk about things that, you know, previously may may have not been okay to say. I wonder if that's what it is in this. What makes it so hard to talk about difference is that you can't necessarily dive right into talking about our difference. You have to, I say you have to. I'm curious if there's a need to build teamwork and camaraderie and trust and a safe space to be able to offer feedback and conversation. And maybe that's what's making it so difficult is I find in my experience, it's quite rare to, to have that level, that level of depth and connection and trust with individuals, let alone groups, that you could then give that feedback so that when I do feel fear or I do feel overwhelmed uh can i share that is that going to be viewed and uh the the the, for me fear of the future fear of being judged comes right in and if if that's gonna be the immediate pushback and i become teased and joked and outcast from the group well there it is right there it's not inclusion anymore it's now exclusion because i can't be who i want to be and now I'm in a vicious cycle of, am I the right person? Am I wrong? How can I be? Is this the group for me to be with? It's 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 difficult. Um, and hypocrisy is the other one that comes up for me. And that's the example of, uh, I, I we talk about these things and we practice it in some of our groups, but then when we're out in other, you know, in family situations or community situations or organizational situations, uh, am I a hypocrite? Is there a time where something comes to mind and then I I don't address it directly or I don't try to make some positive impact uh, because it just doesn't happen. It doesn't come out like I hope it would. There's, there's two things that, that come up for me when you're saying that. The, the first thing about what gets in the way, when I'm working with a group, one of the first things I do is I, I say, what is the terminology that's okay to you? So for example, I refer to myself as a brown woman. I very proudly claim the color of my skin. Some people find that word offensive and that's not okay for them. So I know plenty of Asian people that would not use the word brown and that's okay. You know, is black okay to say? Is uh, disabled okay to say? Is able-bodied okay to say? When it comes to LGBTQ, is it that or was it LGBTQI or, you know, what is the right terminology? And often, I think that really trips teams up when they're trying to look at this. So often with my first session, I might say, not not universally, what's the right words to use? But right now in this room with these people, what are the words that we can use to navigate the conversation? And often that just provides a bit of a map to help us start to talk about this. Because I think at the heart of it, people genuinely, I believe, people want to connect and they don't, you know, generally, you know, a lot of people don't want to cause offence. And in the desire to not cause offence, they just avoid any sort of conversation about it. And so giving people or building a terminology map with people, I think really helps. Um, just kind of guide the conversation in those in those early days so i'm looking back at trying to keep thought around what we've talked about so far and trying to 
point at this, what makes it so hard to talk about our differences. We've brought in diversity, equity, inclusion as a field. We've brought in polarity thinking and polarity mapping with some examples there. And of course, our own personal stories to go along with this. Um, what's your latest thought on what's, what's, how would you go straight to the question? What makes it so hard to talk about our differences? For me, personally, the answer to that question about what made it so difficult for me to talk about difference was I didn't really understand my own difference. And I needed to do a piece of work to really get under the skin about where where was I different and where was I the same? And until I'd done that piece of work, my ability to really see other people's difference, I think, was not as sharp as I hope it is now. So for anybody working in this space, the first thing I'd say is understand your own diversity story, whatever that is, you know, whatever that is, it, you know, doesn't have to be race, it doesn't have to be sexuality, it can be whatever, or it can be a sum of all of them, but really, really understand it. And however curious you are about your own story, how do you then turn that into curiosity to other people's stories? However deeply you feel your own pain, how do you then turn that into love for other people's pain? And I think that's the most important thing, is not getting stuck in your own story, understanding it, but also having awareness and love and um, you know a sense of abundance when you're looking at other people's stories feels really important. And, and at the heart of this, you know, genuinely, I think is the fact that people want to connect and don't get stuck in difference is, is, is my big thing. Don't get stuck in what makes you different. Look for the places where you can connect with people. And I think curiosity and love do that. That would be it for me. What about you? That was beautiful. I'm not sure I can add much to it. Uh... <laughs> I felt like I pre preached a bit. I, I just feel really passionate about not getting stuck in this conversation. We have to find a way with Brexit, with Trump, with everything else. We have to find a way to see one another. And I think diversity inclusion at its heart is a way of seeing one another if we're really prepared to step in be and be seen and and see other people. It can't just be about you being seen. It has to be about you being seen and you seeing other people. And that's exactly what I would build on then is uh, relationship might be the word mm. I would throw out there. I am 100% with you on the the work and the effort it's taken in my own personal case to see my difference and my similarities. Uh, finding words and being able to speak what that difference is and being comfortable or at least some level of comfort. So for me, that that awareness of white privilege and the experience I have and, and having words for that and enough comfort to even say those words. Uh, for me personally, there's also something about gender differences that mm -hmm. I feel quite different and quite unique in that I'm, I, I receive feedback that I'm in touch with my masculine and my feminine side, and that feels quite different. So owning that, and then wrapping all of that in this relationship to others. So absolutely doing the personal work to be aware of, of my own. And then almost constantly asking for feedback and being in conversation with others to say, in the way I speak and the way I behave, verbals, nonverbals, what impact does that have on you? Or what are you thinking or feeling right now? Or whatever the, the language is that's comfortable to then be back and forth in that that deeper, I'd almost say intimate connection with with other individuals and with groups. Something in there is what makes it so difficult to talk about our so differences. Does that mean you're going to have a conversation with your family? 
always every day (laughs) (laughs) brilliant i love it so i feel like this might be a good place to stop this conversation all right so it's goodbye from uh, the uk and goodbye from just outside washington dc thanks thank you for being with us until next time it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking